Hi, I'm Rich Lee, and this is Uncommon. Uncommon is a production by Neural, an agency that helps both brands and talent tell their story. To learn more, just visit neural.com. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com. My guest this week is Rich Lee, co-founder of both Broza and July Luggage as well. Uh, Rich, we're just quickly chatting about the little icebreaker I wanted to get, in, get into. Yeah. Tell us about how you got to Australia. Ah, very good question. Um, I think I came to Australia when I was 16 years old. Okay. Um, I remember having this conversation with my parents at the age of 15, and I said, hey, um, hey mum and dad, um, I want to move, up to move to Australia. And they were like, why? I just thought, you know, Australia could be a good country for me. You know, I, I, I you know, my, my personality was not suitable for the Chinese education, education system because yeah. um, students hate me, you know, my classmates hate me, my teachers hate me because I would always stand out and just say, oh, you did this wrong, I don't think, I be, I don't, I don't think that's right. <laughs> and um, yeah, I always got myself into big troubles. Yeah. And uh, one day, the teachers just say, you know what, um, I don't think you're suitable for my school. And that was the time that I said to my yeah. parents, I think probably going overseas is something more suitable for me. Where, where did you grow up? I was born and uh, raised on a cargo ship for the first six years of my life. Wow. Yeah. So I was never, I, was, I, I never had a, you know, a house or, you know, a place, a permanent place I, I live in. And uh, I was, yeah, I, I just grew up on a boat. Then at the age of seven, six or seven, and uh, my parents reckoned that probably it's time for me to go to school. We, 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 we settled in one city. It's a little town, very small town, uh, close to Shanghai. Okay. And uh, that town, I'll say 90% of Chinese have never heard about. It's a very small town. Really? Yeah. How many people would live there? Well, when I say small town. Small for China. Small for China, yeah. one million. Yeah, that's pretty small. Yeah, pretty it's small pretty for China, small right? Yeah. Because like Shanghai is about 25 million people. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you get cities with nowadays like 40, 50 million people. Correct. So, yeah, that is, that's like, uh, that would be like living in a regional town in Victoria. Correct, correct. So, uh, explain the whole cargo ship thing to me. Where, where do your parents hail from? Which part of China? Why? How did they get into the business of yeah. working on cargo ships? Yeah, I think my parents are the ultimate grassroots entrepreneurs in China. My dad never worked in the company, never. My, my, my mom has always been a housewife her entire life. Okay. So, you know, neither of them has worked in a company entire life and okay. they never really got educated. I think both my parents probably combined five years of primary school education combined. So maybe like two or three years, you know, you know, two years for my dad and three years for my mom, you know, something like that. So wow. they, they are the ultimate grassroots, you know, entrepreneurs. And um, my dad started doing business when doing business was still illegal in China. Yeah, so, right. so in the, in the 70s, 70s or 80s, free market was not a thing in China. It was yeah. illegal. And uh, my dad would, my, both, both my parents are from, like, I think more like a central part of China. Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a very uh, rural province or rural city. Which, uh, very which province? Poor. It's called Anhui province. Okay. It's very, very rural at, uh, rural at the time. I think now it's uh, developed quite well. I haven't been back for ages. Um, so my dad would 
take the pork from his village to Shanghai and sell pork, yeah, then right. bring back you know garments from the big city back to his village to sell. That was considered to be illegal, but that was the things that he was doing. Yeah, right. The first you know maybe five years or ten years of his life. Then one day he decided to do coal shipping business. Coal shipping. Coal shipping. Yeah, um, he decided to do that. <laughs> he bought a he bought a cargo ship. He bought a cargo ship, you know, borrowed money and borrowed, uh, yeah. bought a cargo ship and start buying coal and selling coal and transport them. Mm. And that was it. And because that, you know, he, 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 he used all his savings plus borrowed a lot of money to buy a boat. Of course, all the kids start living on the boat. Yeah, right. The, and, and we have a lot of kids as well. I'm from a family of, uh, you know, five kids. So yeah. I'm like the third child in the, in the family. We yeah, all, yeah. you know lived on that boat yeah right so your parents must have been born at a, so they what must have been born in like the 50s or 60s or something like correct, that correct correct yeah, yeah my, so my, they went my, through holy crap because i just read i'm fascinated by the history of china i just read a really interesting book it was actually that the history of the the ccp but that period that you spoke about where your your parents went from uh Small village, bit, you know, being yeah. in a small village to that coal business. At the end of the day, I think, I don't know if it, it was the, I think it was the late seventies, is when the US rec- finally recognised China. Yeah, it was that liberalisation of yeah, Richard Nixon time. That's it. Yeah, Richard, Richard Nixon, and I, I'm pretty sure was it Deng Xiaoping. Deng Xiaoping, was, yeah, Deng Xiaoping and Mao Zedong at the time. Yeah, yeah. So d- he was the guy. Like he was a really good. I actually, when I think about it, he's probably like the best leader that China's had. Yeah, because he liberalised a lot of areas and. At that point, it was sort of like it was game over. Like, yeah, he opened up the market. Yeah, correct. Entrepreneurship was just going to be a part of Chinese life correct. because I think I think I've heard this recently. Everywhere you go in the Chinese diaspora, the 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 bartering trading tradition is just like something that's been around for centuries. Correct. So to yeah. try and like like push that down is like really really hard Correct. I think it's like a cultural thing that you just yeah. can't yeah. can't get rid of so that must have been fascinating for them yeah for sure because my you know I mean for me um, or my or my siblings we grew up from being super poor to where we are now I mean mm. I would say we are living in I mean all of us and including my parents were living in a very comfortable life um, you know, that's a massive difference, almost from hell all the way to heaven. I, I, I remember my parents were telling me, I mean, I can't really remember this, but when I was growing up, um, we would only eat meat once a month or maybe like once yeah. several months. You would eat um, Chinese cabbages like for a very long time. The yeah. same thing again and again for a very long time. Yeah. So it was difficult. but. Now, then, then my parents' life, that's even worse because my dad, during the, 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 the 50s and 60s, there was basically no food. I think, I can't remember exactly how many people. I think yeah, it was like crazy 10 to 20 million people died. died. Yeah, yeah, because no food. Yeah. Yeah. The, great, the great leap forward. Correct. Yeah. That was it. And that was my parents' era at the time. Wow. And, and to uh, survive that and to know it. Like, so and my grandma died because of that. My really? grandma, yeah, my, 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 my father's mom. Uh, died uh, because of hunger, I think, uh, when my dad was seven years old. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it was very, very difficult time. Yeah, and you can imagine what that would do to people, um, you know, now. Like, uh, people would live in a totally different way because they've got that in the back of the mind. Like, Correct. could this happen again in Correct. future? Correct, and so that's why, you know, they, 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 because they've experienced that, 
they're very, very tough mentally and physically as well. Because mm. you know, my parents, you know, my my dad would still wake up every morning three or four a.m. and wow. jog for ten kilometers every morning. That's like him. <laughs> I would never be able to do that. But my my dad is like that kind of person. Yeah, right. So he's like David Goggins, <laughs> just kind of running insane, <laughs> yeah. insane hours. Yeah. Um, oh my god, that's so funny. Yeah. So when. Well, where, do, where do your parents live now? Are they in China still or they live here? Yeah, I mean, pre-COVID, they would come to Australia once every year and just stay here for like a month or two okay. um, just to spend some time together. Um, you know, during COVID, obviously, it's impossible to travel here. Yeah. Now they're just in China Yeah. with my other siblings. They're all like basically in the same city. Are you the oldest? I'm the middle, so okay. third. The child. Okay. Okay. So you're you're somewhat lucky. So you don't have. The, I'm the uh, oldest the son. Though. Oh, you're I'm the, the oldest, oldest son. son. So Ooh. that's in. Uh, I think Chinese or Asian families. Top tier responsibility. Correct. Correct. Okay. So they're they're always looking to you for for things. That's, that's right. That's yeah. 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 I normally ask a lot of guests like, um, what's a lesson that stuck with them from their parents? And it's sort of obvious to me that when you grow up in that environment, when you're living, sleeping, breathing around your parents' work, hard work would yeah. be that ethos. So, and I spoke to Zoe about this and she said, for me to ask to you, what's sort of been the biggest life lesson that you've learned mm. in the last decade? In the last decade? Not the, not the time when I was in China, right? Mm. Last decade, I think. I think the, the, the lesson I learned, um, you know, in general is that I think Australian living in Australia is a very, I think, very, very lucky. Mm. Uh, and uh, many people take things for granted. Uh, I think living in Australia means a lot of opportunities. We always say this in Australia, if you work just a little bit hard, a little bit harder than, you know, other people, you will make a lot of money. Oh, yeah. I think that's where I learned the most. So that's why I think that's how I started doing business and start, you know, building brands because... You know, if you just do a little bit smarter, a little work a little bit harder, you can make something big. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I think um, we're a very rich country. Yeah. But we're also very relaxed. And so it gives the individual who is hardworking the opportunity to really shine. I would agree with that. I've yeah. got an immigrant family, very like that hardworking immigrant mentality. That's right. Yeah. Um, it's very like Lauren was really surprised by this when we first started dating, but all of my aunties and uncle, uncles own and run businesses yeah. together. Or always family yeah. business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's always really interesting when we catch up with friends and they're like, oh, how do you, how do you run your business together? How do you go with that? Yeah. We're like, what do you mean? This is life. I think family play a very important role in many people's uh, like entrepreneurial uh, journey. If you look at the top e-commerce people in Australia, Rusin Kogan from mm. uh, I think Russian, mm-hmm. um, you know, immigrant family, and then Gabby and Hezi, you know, catch of the day guys, yeah. you know, uh, from 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 Israel. Um, they all like they all like immigrants. I think. I yeah. mean, I'm not saying you know every successful entrepreneur is from immigrant, you know, you know, immigrant family, but I I say. But there's a strong. There is a strong. You know, very very strong. Correct. And so the yeah the next generation of people like yourself. That's why I, I told my, my wife, because I, I recently got a, got, a, got a little girl. She's, a, she, she's just turned five months old, right? <laughs> so I told my wife that when she's a little bit older, I would take her to the factories. I would take, take her yeah. to you know, the negotiation table so that she can learn, you know, so she can appreciate yeah. all the things that, you know, we're, we're, we're doing. I would... Because um, that's what my dad did as well. Yeah, same. Yeah, and he, I would strongly encourage that. And now I have things today where... 
I so my dad's a printer. He's always yeah. been in print. Yeah. He actually used to. Well, he'd travelled to Germany a lot, and he was one of the first sort of print manufacturers mm. to go to China, sort of like around the GFC, maybe a little bit before. Yeah. So he'd go see the big paper mills because paper is like the biggest issue. Yeah. In the industry, is that you know you've got like basically a duopoly here, or yeah. maybe maybe a monopoly of like one paint, uh, one paper manufacturer. Yeah. Anyway, so. I always have this thing of like if I walking into a print factory, the smell of fresh paper to this day just I don't know what it is. It's like it's like I'm getting a massage. Yeah. Or like you smell um, opportunity. You uh, smell money. I know. Just I smell something. <laughs> there, there's some <laughs> thing happening in my yeah. brain. Like some oxycotton is sort of just yeah. going around. I'm like, mm, this is nostalgia. This is amazing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I would strongly recommend anyone who runs a business to do that with their kids because it's also who you are correct like i don't know you should always make it a part of who you are i think because it is who you are yeah when you run a business yeah 100 um, so early studies and career first of all why did you come to australia why did you not okay. go to america or yeah, the yeah. uk or something uh a very very good uh, you know very good question i think um for a lot of students at that time you know, US would be the first top of the choice, right? But that was just after the 9 11. Oh, thing. really? Just after 9 11. Because 9 11 happened, you know, I, th- I think 2001, 2001. right? Yeah. And uh, I came to Australia in 2005. Uh-huh. I was basically right after 2001. So it, obviously, a lot of parents were worried that, okay, US might not be the safest place yeah. to send the kids to. Um, White Australia, actually, I had a foreign teacher at the time in my school. Actually, she was from Melbourne. Mm. Um, and uh, I just remember she was super nice. She was telling a lot of things, nice things about Australia. And um, then, you know, Australia just became the, 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 place. the place for me to go. And Because yeah. uh, at that time, I had never been to a, a beach. And I never <laughs> knew, you know, I, I knew that Australia is very big with beaches, you know. So that's why I came I yeah. came to Australia. Did you come to Sydney or Melbourne first? Um, actually, the first choice was Gold Coast. <laughs> so I, I I enrolled in school in Gold Coast, and one week or two weeks before my arrival, they told me that ah oh, the school was full. Now I can only put you in Brisbane. So I, I went to Brisbane to study. Wow. Study my school. Uh, so I did. Uh, I spent a couple of years in Brisbane before I moved um, down to Melbourne. Wow. And then the other reason why I chose um, Queensland was that I asked my agent at the time, you know, tell me a place uh, that's still nice, but not that many Chinese because I want to learn English. When I first uh, came here, okay. my, my English was really shit because all, 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 all the things I learned back in China was all like deaf mute English, you know, yeah. you, you look, it's every, you whenever you look at a book, it's yeah. not, it's not conversational. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And I would say I was really shit with my spoken <laughs> English at the time. Yeah. And I obviously I learned over the years. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a problem. It's so funny because there's people like, I've got a lot of friends in the Chinese community, but they're all just like, they're not mainland Chinese. They're yeah. from the Chinese diaspora, so Malaysian, yeah. Singaporean. Correct, etc. correct. Yeah. And there's like this constant beef, not beef, yeah. but frustration they have with the the mainland yeah. Chinese yeah. community because they come here, and this is mainly in Melbourne and Sydney. Correct. They come here, they're studying, obviously, 
but they don't intermingle with anyone else because Correct. there's so many from the mainland that they don't have to really learn English. Correct. And then they just have their own little And then they groups. have their own little clique. Yeah, that's and, why. And, that, you know, they, they look at people who are not like that if they're from Malaysia and Singapore. Correct. Like they're they were different. like, oh, you're, you're the um, you're South the Asian group, you know, yeah. not the Chinese group. Yeah, so yeah. it's so funny. I de- definitely agree with that. Definitely yeah. agree with that. And, so that's, uh, a, that's a really smart choice because you could have easily really fallen into that. And to, foreigners, like um, Australians fall into that I notice like a lot of my friends they go to London yeah they just hang out with other Australians correct what's the fucking point exactly then like you don't learn the culture you're not really immersing yourself into the into the the, 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 way, of life. the way of life you know yeah yeah I think it's a I think it's a really poor choice yeah um, so that that is quite interesting I know you obviously attended Melbourne Uni Bachelor of Commerce yeah Started selling products on eBay when you couldn't yeah. find a gig after uni. What right. exactly were you selling on eBay? Well, I was selling a lot of things. I was selling, you know, gadgets. I was selling pet beds, you know, oh. all kinds of stuff. Uh, initially, I was just kind of like guessing what product will sell, what product not going to sell. Because at that time, I, I don't know if it, now you can still do it, but at that time, you can see the, the top bits, uh, products with the top bits, on eBay, I don't think you can do it now, but at that time you can, and you maybe can sort a piece of, see, of software that does it now. Um, so, so at that time you can see on eBay uh, what products get the most attention, hmm. the, the the most bits. We just chose those products. Then later, we discovered a website, a, a, a software called Terapeak, which is owned by by eBay. It's a data software that they pull all the data from eBay. They tell you what products selling, what products trending, what. Who, uh, who are the top sellers? Mm. And then we just pick and choose a product from there. Yeah. And because being Chinese, I, you know, I was able to go to China, source products, and buy directly from China, wow. get the best price, and sell on eBay. Yeah. That was my, the first phase of my uh, entrepreneurial and journey. Yeah. And um, I became like big eBay seller for many many categories. So yeah, you you would have had an information information advantage at the time. You would have basically because you know. Uh, I think Alibaba, like anyone I speak to who's really serious in the e-commerce space, they mm-hmm. always say that Alibaba is a bit of a, not a gimmick, but it is, it's it's not the whole breadth of the situation in China. It's not like everyone, they start a factory and they have to fucking be on Alibaba. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's other stuff there. And so this would have been, at the beginning of Alibaba, you would have probably had some insiders to, okay, it's this city, this town, which is known for manufacturing yeah. this plastic good or this yeah. pet bed or whatever. Yeah, and so right. you can start calling around, finding people, and getting price comparison. That's right, definitely. Yeah. I think the, the, when, we, when we first started, we were looking at the products on eBay. Then the first thing we did was there was a C2C marketplace in China owned by Alibaba called Taobao.com. Ah, yeah. And we were just looking at you know, the same products. Um, what's the price difference? Uh, very often you'll see it's, the product here is about five to six times more expensive than the ones in China. So if you buy directly from Taobao, you're already making margin. But really? then if you can, if when your volume grows, you can just find the manufacturer. And uh, ah, a okay. lot of um, yeah. a lot of small uh, small products like pet beds or gadgets, they're all made, most of them are made in one city in China called Yiwu. It's, okay. the, it's the hub for uh, small consumer goods. Okay. So I, there's a stats, there's like, a, you know the buttons on the clothes, on your clothes, right? Like on a, jack- uh, the button, on a yeah, jacket. The buttons. So I think 99.99% are manufacturing in one city, one town in China, in the world, <laughs> like basically. Yeah. And um, 
I went there very early on. I think I went there maybe at the age of 19 or 20 uh, with my, at that time with the ex-girlfriend. We went there, we were just like sourcing products and uh, we spent days in a, just in a in the exhibition stuff. just looking at stuff. Yeah. It was so interesting. It would have been so, so much fun because I, I remember um, my idea of fun in Hong Kong when Lauren and I went on a trip in sort of 2013 was let's go to the ele- let's go to this market the electronic mm. market let's go to the plastics market and we just like just look at stuff yeah just look at things I remember buying like cameras that um, they had like a minor defect like like these they might have yeah. had on the lens like a tiny scratch yeah and so they were marked down like fifty percent I was like fucking bargain I remember buying like a uh, a Canon G7X and yeah. like laughing at my friends at home paying a grand for it and I got it for like $400 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So I can imagine that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, talk me through the amount of time you spent selling stuff on eBay. Like would you research a product, do that whole research process and then tie it in with a flight back home each year? How would you sort of go about it? Uh, yeah, so... So we did a, we did our first sourcing trip in China. Then we knew that was a way to go. You know, basically buying directly from the from the factory and selling on eBay. Basically, whenever we need to place a massive order, we will go to China. I think at the time okay. we were going to, um, we were doing maybe two or three times a year uh, at that time. Yeah, right. And uh, we also flying back then would have been cheap. Yeah, I mean, cheap but still expensive for small business, right? Yeah. But we were growing fast. We definitely grew fast because uh, we hired an office on Sankira Road. Uh, we hired the packer, you know, basically packer. Pick and pack. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, in the, in the so office you did as well. your, you did your own fulfillment and everything? Yeah, we did everything ourselves. Wow. We did everything ourselves, um, you know, 3PL or, um, you know, anything like that was, a foreign con- was still a foreign concept to us at the time. So really, if you think about it, the fact that you... This is sort of part of that D2C movement. I wonder how much of D2C is people not being able to get a job in some sort of industry and just working it out themselves with the tools that they had. Mm. You know, Because if you think about it, some of those principles that you developed, would have developed at that age before you got into Broser in July, have really permeated and expanded in other ways. Like the fact that you would yourself would always go to China. Yeah. I noticed that was obviously a key principle. Yeah. Um, the the fulfillment, or let's call it last mile fulfillment of yeah. actually getting it that that last stage to the customer. It seems like yeah. you guys were handling it as yeah. much as possible, pick yeah. and pack, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So that to me is really, really interesting. I, I'm curious when with Broza, mm-hmm. so... So 2010, you finished uni. 2014, you found this business with your co-founders. You obviously identified that there was an opportunity in this category. Yeah. Why? I I mean, we spoke about it before. Dan says, I've purchased Bros products. It's a no-brainer now in hindsight. Yeah. But at the time, you were running this business that was obviously making money. Yeah. Why did you think, okay, I'm only just going to go into one category rather than multiple yeah. and double down on yeah. that? That's yeah. a bit risky for someone like yourself. Actually, it wasn't because it was a very natural uh, uh, decision for us to make or for me to make anyway at that time. How so? Um, because I was, I was running, um, actually there was a, after I, run, after I was doing eBay, but in 2010, something really big happened in the e-commerce world. Okay. It was the group buying era, if you remember, ah, 2010. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I got invited to 
be one of the first merchants or vendors for some of the biggest group buying sites in Australia. At yeah, that right. time, there was Groupon Australia, there's Scoopon, there was Catch um, of the Day, the catch of the day deals, yeah. uh, deals.com.au. It was so interesting because everyone was fighting for products and we were we were growing so fast at the time because group buying sites would pay us upfront for us to buy products from China directly. Wow. Basically, at that time. It wouldn't happen now, but and back back, back then, then yeah. back then, what happened was this: you would you would love this as well. Um, <laughs> we would come up with a crazy idea. Yeah, we would come up with a crazy idea. For example, one of the product I did was um, cordless, um, you know, I, I think steamers. Okay. Cordless steamer or iron, you know, basically iron your shirt or pants without the cord because it's battery powered. Battery powered, battery powered yeah. right? So we would find a factory or find a couple of factories. We'll get some high-res images. We'll upload it to Groupon and sell it. We'll sell 2,000 units. Then we don't even have a product. And the Groupon <laughs> will pay us. And then we and go then to China and we it. buy it. Yeah. Wow. So that was, I, I did about, I did that for about three years. Wow. Three years. And we were one of the largest merchants for some of the deal sites. Yeah. Not just in Australia, but globally. Yeah, right. We were selling in 10 or more than 10 countries. Okay. And at that time, there were some categories, uh, very apparent to me was the biggest category for me. Yeah. One is furniture, second was um, luggage, number three was nail polish, mm-hmm. there, was also, um, there was also electronics. Yeah. So of all the categories that do, did really, really well for us, um, I wanted to get into a category that had the biggest high ticket items yeah. that will get me to a $5 million, $10 million business a lot quicker than anything else. Okay. And the furniture was the most apparent one. And did, did the negative cash flow component ever weigh into it? Because you would have built that Correct. idea during that group. Exactly. Yeah. Because we obviously didn't want to put a lot of money into the business and we wanted to bootstrap the business uh, as well. And back in 2012 or 2013, VC was not a thing in Australia. Yeah. Not many VC, <laughs> not many VC, no. it was, you know what I mean? So we never, we never thought that was an option. So we always thought that Bootstrap was the only option to do something like that. So I remember we went to Church Street, we did a bit of research. What we found out is that traditional uh, uh, furniture brands, if you buy from all these brands, apart from IKEA, everything you have to wait. You have to wait anywhere between 10 and 20 weeks. Okay. Depending, the, depending on the product, depending on where the product coming from. And then you have to pay at least a deposit yeah. or 100% upfront. We were like, fuck, that's a, that's a great <laughs> business model. You take the money, you take people's money upfront. Then you get, you get things manufactured. We could do this ourselves yeah. through internet, yeah. not just showroom, but through internet. So we quickly set up a website. We upload a couple of images okay. and images, product that we never had. Yep. We actually didn't have any of the products. Yeah. And was it always did, called Browser then? Yeah, it was Browser as from day one. Okay. And um, and Browser means a smile in Icelandic. Okay. That's why. Yep. Yeah. And uh, very quickly we got a couple of sales for product we didn't have. Yeah. Like, fa- were you running Facebook ads or were you running pay-per-click ads? Um, at that time, we just did a, um, we did, we just did a, some SEM ads, Google ads uh-huh. at the time. Yeah, right. And we didn't, you know, we were never big on Facebook ads. Do you remember what the first sale was? What was the it first was sofa. sale? It was Sofa. 
It was so far. I remember, because I remember <sighs> very clearly what products, what pattern. I remember very, very clearly on what products. Yeah, we right. made a couple of sales and we're like, fuck, what now? <laughs> what, what, what do we do now? <laughs> so we had to, like, we, we basically scratch our heads. We're like, we'll have to make it work. Yeah. And at that time, I had no idea how a sofa uh, is made. Right. So I, I went to a couple of manufacturers. So I, I, I got referred to a couple of manufacturers. I was asking them, I said, all right, I just sold a piece of sofa like this. Can I, can I get it made? And they just laugh at me because clearly you, I had no idea how to make a manuf- how to manufacture a sofa. <laughs> because manufacturing a sofa, you have to pick your fabric first, then you decide on the foam, you design the, the frame, the timber frame, you pick the legs. <laughs> I had no idea, but I said, I don't care. I need to make this because I just sold a sofa like this. <laughs> so we made it, yeah. we made it. And, um, and uh, this is very funny because I still remember the first, uh, um, I think the first customer's name was like Taylor or something, yeah. Taylor. But anyway, in the end, I think it took, it took a very long time for us to figure out how to make a piece of sofa. And I think one week before the product arrived, the customer just had to cancel it because it was way too long. Yeah, I think right. the first two customers um, uh, ended up canceling the order. Uh-huh. Um, so that was, the story, um, yeah, but right. it gave us a business. It gave, well, it proved that there was a business there. There was a business, it proved the concept. Yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter if you had to pay for the cost of the sofa. Yeah, correct. You were just like, well, we know, we've, we've learned the entire process. Now, you would have already, like, I'm sure you would have made sales after that, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. We were, because in order to, because we, we had to keep selling the product in order to fill up the container. Yeah. Because you can't just buy a couple of sofas. You have to buy an entire container. Yeah. And, um, and we just kept selling, kept selling. And it was great because we were getting the money front, uh, up front, then we paid for the stock, you know, afterwards. I've got to say, this is like... This makes me smile because this is the fun stuff about entrepreneurship. Yeah. It's like it's like fixing a really complex puzzle to a machine that makes money. Yeah. A really complex puzzle to a key to a machine that ma- can make you money. Correct. And can dictate what you want to do with your life. Correct. Like it's just, it reminds me of when we were starting our business early. We're still obviously nowhere near what Broza has done, but... It's that same excitement that I get is like, oh, it's like, okay, this thing we've, we've learned from this process, this, yes. this is how I do it in future. And then you do it and it's so much better and people are like so much happier. And it's just, yeah. it's the best feeling I reckon. For sure, for sure. I think the business, um, you know, the business evolved over time, you know, from the, the um, from initially a 100% made to order business to a today, we call it just-in-time business model because yeah. we have products in stock, we have products on water, we have products that are being manufactured right now. Um, so depending on your, you know, your your on requirements, the yeah, yeah, the individual item, and we have different lead time. Yeah, and obviously we use machine learning. We 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 have past sales data. We know uh, what product will sell well, what products don't sell well, and uh, yeah. You, yes, you. Are you intrigued by this episode? If so. Go to our footer on the website, N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com, neural.com. We're going to give you an insight each week. It's going to be on business, marketing, or a topic that we covered in the episode at all. We'd love your support, and it would help us in developing the intellect around this series. But without going on too much longer, let's get back into this episode. 
I'm guessing you're still on the board of the company? Yes, I am. Do you, so would you see and speak to people on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis? Well, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm very super inactive in the business now because of course. Um, I'm, just, I'm just sitting on the board, um, you know, as I'm still a shareholder of the business. Um, I spend like a few hours on the board meeting, you know, every quarter. Yeah. That would be it. You know, yeah. my focus still in July. Of course, yeah. Yeah, but you still get that insight. Yes, yeah, you still got some way of getting some insight. Yeah, for sure. So July, let's talk about that. Um, yeah. we've interviewed Ethan before. If yeah. anyone wants to listen to it, we've interviewed Zoe now for the Marketer series. Yeah, I learned obviously in my interview with Ethan that he was running Three Thousand Thieves at Correct. the time. You guys met at this cafe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you obviously had been chatting about something and then yeah. this, this idea of luggage came up. I think for Ethan at the time, it was the fact that he'd gone to DJs or something like that and thought, like, this process is, is shit. But you, it seems now in hindsight, you already had those four categories in your Correct. mind. Yeah. So at some point, you know, that conversation just plugged. Correct, yeah. Um, and I guess I was just curious, like, you, you know, like, what did you see in Ethan as a potential co-founder that sort of clicked with you? Yeah. Ethan's skill set definitely like complement my skill set. I think yeah. we 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 work really, really well together and the stuff he does I can't do. Yeah. And stuff I do, he can't do. That's basically. What I guessed, yeah. yeah. And above that, he's just a great person to hang out with as well. Yeah. You know? Um, and uh, that's what I love about because doing business at the end of the day is not just about making money it's about having fun together yeah and um, I got a lot of fun you know even talking to him early days um, and that's why I thought he's a great person to work with yeah what's you know? um what's he taught you about because uh, th- this is like us Greeks we always get very philosophical what's he taught you about life so far any imparted wisdom Indirectly or directly? Yeah, I think I learned a lot. I mean, I sure you know, um, I, I started Brosser. I learned a lot about building business and uh, building a brand. But working with him, I learned that sometimes you don't sac- sacrifice your brand over some short-term uh, gain. You know, for example, you know, sure we can do a campaign, we can do a sale, uh, we get a lot of revenue, but then you're, you're, you know, you're you're sacrificing your long-term brand equity. Yeah, you know that's what I learned a lot from him. And sometimes you know he's he's very he's he's he, sometimes he's always right about the branding branding elements. You know that's yeah. why yeah that's what I learned a lot from him. Yeah, so he's very long term brand focused. That's right, which would make sense because he's had that insight of working for a bunch of different brands as a strategist. Yes, yes, and he would have seen the folly of people wanting sh- those short term gains. Yeah. Um, and that is good because, like I said, I think that was the thing that I guess at the time you guys have very different skill sets. The same thing with Lauren and I. I couldn't do what she does. She couldn't do what I yeah. what I and do that's at the all. best. That's it's the, the best. best. It's the best because... Because you don't step on each other's correct. toes. Correct. Um, it marries together pretty well. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I can't really think of a time where it hasn't proved incredibly useful. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Um, I found it funny that you initially blocked Felicity McGann on Instagram. Yeah. I think the story goes that you thought they were like fishing for some yeah. intel or something Correct. like that. Yeah. Um, I'd say Strandbags, I think they invested 2019. What, sh- what do you reckon they've, or particularly Felicity, has imparted to you guys um, at a business level? Yeah. 
They are great people to work with, and especially Felicity. She's, uh, you know, she's she's got a lot of experience in retail. I think she was the VP of marketing um, at Gap in, yes, uh, in North America. Yeah, North America, and she was a general manager of. Um, um, was Cotton On? No, not Cotton On. Was yeah. Uh, I think on. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah Cotton On. I was looking well. at a profile the other day. Yeah, correct. Very big, big retail. Retail. Brands. Yeah. So we just learned so much because there's stuff that we uh, we were doing, but we had no idea how well we're doing, and we didn't have any benchmarking. For example, what is the what is the retail staff wage over revenue in the retail store? Um, uh-huh. as, as benchmark. That's the sort of stuff that she would tell us. Yeah. And uh, what is a, 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 a good performance in a retail store? Uh-huh. And uh, how do you do training properly? Yeah. So they definitely brought on a lot of um, industry expertise yeah. and um, to the business. At the same time, they're not... Uh, you know, they're not telling us what to do. They just, no. yeah. And, and you've told them things as well. Like I think I read an interview that she was shocked that you guys had Ubered uh, yeah. cases to Correct. to customers. She was like, oh, didn't really think about that. And it's a, it's a no-brainer when you have an item that's worth, you know, an LTV worth a grand. Yeah. What's $20? Correct. It's nothing. Correct. It's nothing. And it's so much more valuable from a marketing perspective. Correct, correct. I think... Uh, you know, I can't remember who was saying this, but uh, I think well, I, th- I think the founders at Airbnb, um, if you want to build a, a great business at the beginning, you do stuff that doesn't can't scale. Be, doesn't scale. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what we're doing. You know, business like Strandbacks would never be able to do this sort of stuff. Mm. You know, Ubering luggage and bags to customers. It's very hard to manage that process. But yeah. for us at current stage, we're able to do something like that. Yeah. So, so you know, once you figure out a way uh, to scale, you know, I think this is unbeatable. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. When we do the strategy component with a lot of our challenger brands, we talk about this thing in general. Yeah. Actually, one brand recently releasing an app for men's health. It's a really good app. Yeah. And a lot of their conversations are offline. Like they're not. They're there at a football club or a yeah. tennis club or whatever. Yeah. And they're like, you know, I learned this thing from this app or wh- whatever. Yeah. I'm like, QR codes. You yeah. guys need QR codes because you need to have that ability for that person to share this app and this experience with that person in person. It's not going to get you uh, millions of users, but it's going to connect a lot of those conversations, which are like 50% of the the marketing activity that you're yeah. doing right now rather yeah. than just relying on that person to go out and and do that thing. So yeah. thinking about that sort of stuff I think is really, really cool. I remember yeah. seeing uh, the stories that you guys had with uh, with the with the Ubers. I, I feel like it might have been around Christmas or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we did a lot of those. Apart from that, me and Ethan would um, driving around. drive around <laughs> and do deliveries ourselves. I remember not the Christmas just past or previous one, uh, I was driving a van with my dog yeah. uh, on the on the on the on the passenger seat, and uh, I was just driving around Melbourne and uh, deliver cases, and people love it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think um, Zoe said she was recently um, having to utilize the van. Yeah. I heard it's a nice van. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> um, yeah. It's uh, one of the you know one of the best purchases we 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 made. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that. Um, so. You're often looked at as the supply guy, not just the supply guy in the July business, but the guy who really gets supply chains yeah. in startup land. Mm-hmm. Uh, you indirectly, not officially advise a bunch of setups when they chat to you about things. Yeah. 
I've seen you often quoting that Bezos quote, your margin is my opportunity, and I, yeah. you sort of strike me just based on this conversation alone as a guy who likes the mechanics and things yeah. sort of marrying up. Yeah. Obviously, pre-COVID, D2C businesses have been huge and yeah. it just accelerated that Yes. Um, after COVID. Yeah. So I was curious, we, we've gotten an insight as to some of your principles, but how would you, would you quantify a number of principles that you have today for running a professional D2C business? And yeah. if so, what are they? Yeah. I mean, there are several elements to... Um, to running a successful D2C business, I think the very first thing is get your product right. Okay. I think that's the first thing because if your product's shit, you only get the customer once. They will not come back to buy again. They mm. will not refer to um, other people. That's the first one, get your product right. And because it's D2C, you're working directly with your supplier, you'll be able to have the margin anyway. So yeah. I think that's a... That's a, that's a that's important. Because you have the margin, then you can spend on acquisition. Yeah. I think find the most profitable channel for your uh, product, for your business, uh, and make sure you don't overspend um, on acquisition. Okay, so, yeah. so basically, it sounds like you're saying don't worry too much about the price of the product because the nature of the business model will mean that you have that margin there. Correct. Just get the product right. Get the product right first because don't worry too much because you're working directly with the manufacturer. You are already having more margin or better margin comparing to your competitors. Yeah, and you can build that little extra margin you need to get your profit on the top or more acquisition cost, etc. Correct, correct. And make sure that you know, try to be profitable on your first purchase. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I, I oftentimes people say, oh, you know, the LTV is this much. You know, people come back, you can spend a little bit more on your acquisition. You just never know, right? Mm. Especially for e-commerce, physical goods. So we try to be as profitable as possible on the first purchase. Okay. So that you know that this is a sustainable business model. And number three is try to create products as, as, as fast as possible. Okay. Because... If people have a good experience and people want to come back to buy other stuff. Yeah. So have more products ready for them to purchase. Okay. So increase the average order value and LTV uh, of this customer. So when you say um, order as much stuff as possible, do you mean in terms of your actual supply chain and having that stock available? Um, both. Having enough stock, not like as much as possible, but um, um, you know, enough stock to keep up with your demand. Yeah. The second thing is uh, make sure you develop um, you know, as many SKUs, as many products as possible. Mm. So that's also important. So the cart value increases. Correct. Yeah. So, so basically you acquire a customer, uh, you don't want them to just buy one product, you want them buying a slew of products or coming back to buy more products because you've spent that acquisition cost. Correct, correct. Yeah. Okay. The same thing, you know, we recently, so Ethan and I myself, we recently invested in a startup in Melbourne called uh, Pair, so P-A-R-I-R-E.com.au. Yeah. They are a sock business. Um, so they wanted to, when they first came to us and they said, um, we wanted to create the, the world's most, most comfortable socks. And we love the idea. And we were like, okay, what, 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 what's the first range of products? They told us and we said, yeah, great. But you need to quickly develop more products. And because if people come to the site and they only see wool and, uh, and cotton socks, yeah. and if they're not into wool, they're probably not going to buy. Yeah, you want to be able to create multiple, um, you know, uh, products with different material, and also maybe same material but different products yeah. or other categories. Yeah, 
colors, yeah. all that colors, sort of yeah, stuff. Of course. Okay, so you're trying to capture a broader audience by creating more products, essentially. Correct. Um, relevant products. So you can't do like, for example, at July. Um, relevant. We, yeah. Correct. Relevant so we wouldn't be able to launch a couch. <laughs> we would be, <laughs> you know, we 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 only product we only produce products. Um, this, the, the, the same quality standard um, and, uh, and uh, relevant to travel and uh, you know, relevant to trips. So, yeah. Yeah. so you think that the long term, because this is one of the questions I had on product development, the last 18 months you guys went from luggage to travel bags and accessories, Correct. which was luckily initiated pre-COVID, which sort of underlines your, your point about having more products yep. coming up because you've got that customer originally you've got a chance to yeah to bring something in that potentially yeah. could save you yeah. in this case that's right so it's a hard one to ask because i know that as a founder you're not going to want to display or talk about too much of what you're doing but from a product perspective how far does the travel area go you know is it toiletries is it where where, do, where does it stop for well, you guys it's not too hard I mean, I can I can definitely talk openly about this. Um, anything to do with travel, so anything that can elevate your experience uh, when you travel. Okay. Um, a big trip, small trips. That's all products that we can do or uh, experiences. It doesn't have to be physical product. It can be okay. you know, it can be digital product. Can be experience. So when I look at travel, you know, I look at you know before travel, during travel, and uh, and uh, and after travel. There's so many opportunities. So for example. The immediate thing I can think of that I want to get for myself is that I never have comfortable clothes when I travel. Yeah. You know, that's a great opportunity, you know. Yeah. What, what, what is... Uh, comfortable, uh, what is com- appropriate. Correct. Yeah. Appropriate as well. Yeah. You know, what, what is the most comfortable uh, uh, clothes when you wear, uh, when, you, when, you, when you get onto a flight? Yeah. Also look stylish as well. Yeah. You know, I think that's a huge opportunity for July. You know, what do you wear in your hotel? You know, that's another thing. Yeah. You know, so what if we create this uh, most comfortable travel pajamas? Yeah. Travel wear. Slippers. I mean, look, you're totally right. Everyone loves Qantas pajamas. Yes. Yes. Everyone loves. And, uh, you know, people, people, people take home and wear at home. You yeah. Know, people love it. The first thing, I don't know if they give it out in business, but I definitely know they give it out in first. Yes, um, they, but give, they do give to business, and it's also a status thing when you wear it. It's very it, much a status thing. Yeah, yeah, correct. It's so funny because, you know, that they were selling that during the COVID lockdown. Yes. Because people were obsessed with the pajamas, <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's smart. I reckon very it's a smart. smart idea to expand to that sort of stuff. So, yeah. okay, anything that relates to, to travel, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a certain timeline? Obviously, the business is going to be quieter now than it will be in, say, a year's time from now when the majority of, let's say, at least the West and developed countries like China are vaccinated. Yeah. Do you intend to launch further products in the next year? Yeah, definitely. You've already got stuff the, in the, the pipe? The focus for us right now is to develop more products okay. because we know by the time the travel come back, whether that's six months or twelve months, you gotta be ready. We'll be ready. Yeah, we'll be ready. And uh, one of the things, uh, one of the things, um, you know, um, is if you look at if you look at luggage as a generic term, if you search on Google, and over the last several months during COVID, our rank from I think from the sixth or seventh page uh, all the way to second page now. Yeah, right. So the SEO 
has 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 been growing for us. Yeah. So which is always very good at. Yeah. 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 So, yeah she gets it, that. She gets a lot. a lot of credit of yeah. that. So that's one thing. You know, that's one just one of the many many things. Uh, we're getting ready for. Mm. So by the time the travel come back and whenever people search for luggage, we always rank number one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that that to me makes a lot of sense and I would agree with that. I think we've been focused on developing new service lines in the in what was geared up to be the yeah. opening up this year and yeah. I think it's proved pretty well. So yeah, I would 100% agree with that. It's, it's funny you mentioned that ranking thing because I I'd had that recently. I searched... July, a couple of months ago when we were buying this gift for Lauren's dad. And yeah. then recently, yeah. uh, when I was doing the research for your interview, and I was like, oh, shit, they're like ranking. And now also when you type in the word July, I don't know if this is because I've been on the website previously, but you guys rank number one yeah. for, for the yeah. word July. For the word July, both um, paid and non-paid. Yeah. So I think on SEO side, we're ranked, num- Which ranked number one. Is is so hard. Yeah. Like to rank, but what's, but what's harder is luggage. The term yeah. luggage, it's highly harder. competitive. Highly competitive. Yeah. But yeah. if you search, uh, I think Zoe was telling us the other day as well. If you search carry on luggage, I think we're on first page already. Really. But for the term luggage, we're on the second page. There you go. So it's slowly, slowly so coming up. Yeah. <laughs> um, branding. Uh, well, we talk about Qantas pajamas. Branding is a big thing for you guys. I know when Ethan was in, he mentioned that. Yeah. Um, for him, it was always about stories, storytelling, yeah. doing the little things that, that you know, like you said, don't scale. Yeah. Um, to me, it seems like you're much the same, um, much more on the side of doing the, the Airbnb type stuff, you know, doing the stuff that doesn't scale. I think the story was that yeah. randomly Emily, Nathan Chan's partner, who I've actually done a bit of media training for, yeah. Um, she had a mix-up with her zipper, like she'd done something wrong with her zipper and you That's right, yourself yeah. went out and visited yeah, her. I went to her place and uh, fixed for her on the spot. <laughs> on the spot, that's yeah. right, which they were very impressed by. So we know what's important to you. I'm curious then, who are the leaders or who are your heroes when it comes to branding and uh, business in particular? Business in particular, I mean, I noticed that you got... Uh, you know Steve Jobs' book and uh, the Everything Store. Yeah. Um, you know for, uh, for Jeff Bezos. Great I think book. I, yeah, great book. I loved it. I mean, the people I look up to. You know, definitely. I I, I look at you know Jeff Bezos. You know, twenty years ago from their little office. You know, with a handwritten <laughs> yeah. Amazon sign to where he is today. Um, I think you know I I I, I love everything that um, you know. I think Jeff Bezos um, has has he's created. Your guy. Yeah, I, I, he's definitely one of my idols. You know, he's definitely someone I, I look up to. I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, going off. Seriously, what the fuck? So. Yeah. so Jeff Jeff Bezos is your guy. Yeah. Um, one the, one of many. You know, I would say. Yeah, I would say just on that book as well. Highly recommend it because there's a bunch of other books that came out of it as well. Yeah. One of the best ones that I just recently bought and have been skimming through because I'll, I'll read for an hour each night is uh, a book called Creation. It's re- Creation. it's it's referenced a lot in that book and it's this idea of like modu- mm. modules that can be grouped together which they then used in AWS. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'd highly recommend if anyone is re- interested in e-commerce, that's the book. Yeah. That's the book you got to look yeah. at. Yeah. Awesome. Um, is there anyone else that really lately has been influencing you? Lately has been influencing me um I can't think of anyone 
right right now just because every day we're just like so into our own business. Your own little world. Yeah, yeah. own little world. Do you get much um, time to sort of sit back and pause with that sort of stuff? Definitely, definitely. Um, we do have a lot of time, you know, to, you know, pause and think about, uh, just reflect ourselves. Um, within July, I think yeah. um, a lot of branding stuff I look up to, you know, to, to Ethan because he is one of the best in the, um, in the in the in the industry, I think, when it comes to branding, when it comes to brand marketing, mm. um, so I learn a lot from him, yeah. you know, on day to day, which is very very, I think, lucky and uh, fortunate. Yeah. Do you personally have any hobbies or anything like that? Well, I think. Do you have time for it? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I I have time. I my, I love um, hiking. I used to go a lot. Yeah, right. But. Uh, not uh, not so much now because I got a kid. Yeah. Um, so that's taking a lot of time. Um, I was gonna say I'm surprised you don't um, potentially have a boat. <laughs> <laughs> Boats. Um, it's definitely Maybe you on, put off. on the on the on the list. It's one on day, the list. On the uh, one day. <laughs> Driving is also another hobby of mine. Yeah, I right. love a sports car. Okay. Um, I bought my first. Uh, I bought my first Porsche uh, sports car. I think wow. when I was 21 or 22. Um, I'm very into Porsche and I love yeah, uh, sports I'm obsessed with Porsche. I love, I love. And, That's uh, my dream car. Yeah. What do, day, what do you, you have? Know, I, I had a Cayman at the time okay. uh, when I was 21, 22, but um, after I got married, I uh, switched to SUV. So uh, I drive a Porsche Cayenne now. A Cayenne, yeah, because I've said to Lauren that... You are a Tesla. You are a Tesla pe- person, I think. <laughs> you reckon? Yeah, I reckon, yeah. <laughs> okay, so this, this is what... Um, what I've had recently yeah. is the, the Porsche um, Taycan. Yeah. The, the, the electric one. one. Yeah, Mission E. It yeah. looks, oh, it just looks, ama- I've been watching like um, demo A quarter meal, right? A quarter meal? Yeah. Expensive. <laughs> very yeah, expensive. Very expensive. But it looks amazing. For me, like Porsche's like, it's just the look, the back look of like a, a Carrera S or yes. something like that. Yeah. Is, is what I really, really like. There's other things I don't like about Porsche that I think Tesla has done a little bit better. Like I think the back of the Porsche for the people sitting in the back yeah. isn't comfortable. Yeah. Um, so Lauren's constantly reminding me of that. She's like, you know, like if we have kids soon, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you'll never be able to, like, yeah, you can take them for a couple of years, but when they grow up, like they won't Correct. fit in it. So Correct. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the Tesla thing because that's yeah. the alternative I've thought about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that would be my next, next car. car. Yeah. Which one? Maybe Model X. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They got like a massive change, I think, next year, the next year's model. Yeah. Um, so it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, the thing that fascinates me about electric cars is the amount of torque that you have immediate. Because I'm an acceleration guy. I'm not a top speed guy. Mm-hmm. I love being able to move quick, but I don't need to go ultra, ultra fast simply because here it's you can't, you can't even do it. Correct. You know, unless you're driving to Sydney, the, the fastest you can go is like 110, 120 or something Correct. like that. Not like Germany. Legally, you know, yeah, Germany, Germany would make sense. So I'm all about that initial speed. So, yeah, that's why Teslas intrigue me. But the Taycan, like I said, I think we just bought a new car. We got a Skoda. Yeah. Um, the Kamek, which is a sort of crossover SUV. Yeah. That'll be Lauren's car. Um, they're amazing. It's sort of like an Audi and a VW had a baby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, all gu- like quartz grey looks yeah. pretty nice. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
It's got really good acceleration. I quite like that. So that's, that's good. I love acceleration as well. I think and me too. I think yeah. it's important that when you want to overtake somebody. Exactly. Or like you're at the lights and you're in a bit of a rush and you just want to move. Because some people really take their time from red lights. Correct. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, there's there's a lot there. I feel like we could keep going on yeah. and on and on and on about stuff. But um, I wanted to ask you, you've done a lot of these interviews uh, by now or a yeah. few interviews by now. What do you wish you you got people that like? What do you wish that they asked you in these interviews? Like, you get a lot of stuff about supply mm. chain stuff yeah. and business and all that. What's the topic that you could talk for half an hour about? Is it cars? I think the no, not definitely not cars. <laughs> I think that I, I I would say I would say if there was one question I wish I got asked, and I think it's important to for people to know is what makes somebody a great entrepreneur. Okay. I think that's uh, that's something that that I think is is a, is a great question because um, people sometimes you know a lot of people come to me or you know in general is that uh, I want to become a founder I want to become an entrepreneur and I look at you know these people what these people are doing I don't think these guys are founders you know they're smart no. people but sometimes you know founders are for a completely different um, you know type of people. Uh, I think what makes someone a great founder or great entrepreneur, I think the obsession is the obsession for detail. Yeah. The obsession for detail. Um, I which, think that's a very, very important thing. Which permeates through their obsessiveness with the product in general. I Correct. would agree with that. I mean, Correct. I was up to 1 a.m. doing uh, emails or something last night because I just couldn't be satisfied not getting, like I've just had one of those weeks because we're yeah. away all weekend where yeah, I'm just yeah, not yeah. on top of stuff. Yeah. And I just can't sit still while I'm in that situation. Correct. You get you get like that anxiety. The that, anxiety. Yeah. The you're anxiety. Not. Correct. I get that all the time. If I feel like I'm wasting time, or if I'm, I feel like I'm not getting stuff done. Yeah. Um. It's it's that obsession. Yeah. That and obsession. once I've done it, I know I'm happy. I'm content. I can sleep. I can relax. Yeah. I can do all these things that Correct. what normal humans do. So I, don't, I think if you don't have that, it's very very hard to do. Well, yeah, correct. And above uh, the the obsession for detail, I think it's uh, you know I think it's dedication uh, and execution, yeah. uh, very important. Because you know when I think when Uber came out, so many people say, oh, I had the same idea. Oh, uh, <laughs> that was you know I had the idea, exact idea, ten years, yeah, two everyone, years ago, five years ago. Everyone says that. Yeah, everyone says that. Yeah, it's the person who. Uh, can actually execute. Yeah. yeah. And to me, execution is just dedication. Correct. Because it's just having a go, then learning your shit, then getting better, then learning your shit, then getting better, and, and you just keep going and going and going. And you never give up because yeah. it's endless. Yeah, correct. Endless improvement. Correct. Endless correct. Uh, performance, I think. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, there are uh, a person, um, you know, reach out to me and say, hey, I've got a great idea. I just want to get your uh, opinion on something. Uh, I say, sure, you know, I'm happy to help. And I'm, I'm always... You know, I'm always happy to help anyone who, who, who you know, come up. Then they will be like, oh, can you sign NDA? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. why would I care? I don't care, you know what I mean? If I have a good idea and I will share with people I trust, with people yeah. I, I think uh, will, will give me uh, great advice, uh, if these guys can, you know, if these guys jump over me and that execute is- it, that, no, that's, I'll, I'll give these guys credit, you know, because yeah. these guys can actually execute it. You know, I wasn't be able to do it faster than these guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like that kind of uh, What do you do in person. that scenario? Do you sign the NDAs or you don't bother? I just don't bother. Yeah. I, I just don't care. I've never seen anyone 
the NDA people um, have ever succeeded. Yeah. I mean, the people I spoke to anyway. Yeah. You know? Yeah, NDAs to me are an immediate signal for a entrepreneur. Yeah, entrepreneur, exactly. Yeah. Because um, they've spent more time getting the, the NDA, they probably spent more time finessing the NDA than they have just building On the product. On idea, yeah, correct. Which is, is very telling to me. Correct. I've had it one, I've had with one prospective customer and I was like, oh, this is not going to work out. I can just tell and they didn't become a customer. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think NDAs are always a good warning. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. All right, rapid fire questions to finish things off. I don't want to yeah. hold you in here too much longer. Yeah. Uh, morning and evening routine. What's it look like? Morning. Every morning, I read all the you know all the a lot a few websites. I always read and then to get the latest news, um, both what's happening in the world and also the what's happening in the tech world. You know, TechCrunch mm -hmm. is is a good one. I, okay. I read, um, and uh, I also read you know you know Business Insider. What's happening? The the top ten things you need to know in Australia, stuff yeah. like that, and. Um, you know, after that, I have coffee. I walk my dog, and sometimes I walk, uh, you know, my baby with the dog together <laughs> early in the morning. So yep. that was nice. Um, every evening, I try to be home, you know, before six thirty or seven, so that I can, you know, bath my baby. Yeah. And that was very, I enjoy it a lot. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so those are the those are the main things in my life. Are you watching anything particular at the moment at night? I'm not watching anything particular at the moment. Yeah. Um, Are you a Netflix, YouTube guy? I'm not big on those things. Really? Yeah, I was. I was very big on Netflix. I was really big on YouTube, but uh, not uh, not really. You know, yeah. I'm I'm on the phone most of the time now. <laughs> <laughs> I'd agree with that. I think um, I spend the majority of my time on TikTok now, which is yeah. ridiculous. I think <laughs> very it's addictive. Very, very Like if you look yeah. at the hours, it's in comparison to all other apps, yeah. it's just ridiculous. And I can make the excuse that it's for work, so that's yeah. a problem. <laughs> um, all right, last question for you. What's been the best purchase under 200 Aussie dollars? Mm, good question. I would say the the um, the side table I bought from King Furniture under two hundred dollars. <laughs> I think that was a really, really good purchase because not only it integrate with my sofa that I bought from King uh, Living, uh, at the same time it can charge my phone like wireless charge my phone. It's, nah. it's two hundred dollars because I think I bought it one uh, when it was on fifty percent off. You're right. Yeah, I I thought that was a very good purchase. So when when did you buy that? Maybe like last year. Wow. Maybe like yeah, last year. Yeah, because that would have made sense because um, they all those brands would have been really struggling last year. Yeah, yeah, and they got like fifty percent. I was like, oh, that's that's rare, and I Very rare. I definitely wanted to take advantage of that. Um, and the 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 side table integrated with my sofa and can charge my phone uh, wirelessly. It's great. I love it. Yeah. How does yeah. it build a charge? Uh, it's got a. Um, basically, there's a charger, yeah. Ah, uh, okay. From, yeah, from the bottom. Wow, I'm going to take a look at that. Yeah, you should. Because that, or when you think about my night, what I am normally not working and say now is like I am at the morning at the moment. I'm on my browser couch. I'm lying down. Yeah. Um, and I'm just on my phone. Typically, yeah. Or watching yeah. YouTube or watching something YouTube. like that. Yeah. Nice. Um, Rich, where can people find you online? Wow. They can reach me on LinkedIn, uh, it's yeah. Rich Lee, um, or just email, you know, richard at july.com. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm quite responsive if I find interesting. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm always 
I'm always happy to help if anyone just um, you know come up with a question. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we'll link July, obviously. We'll link Broza. Yeah. Um, all of the things we've discussed are in the show notes in the show. But, um, Rich, thanks for coming in. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for checking out this episode. If you do like it, please subscribe. And, of course, like if you're watching the YouTube video as well. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. You can also find our clips channel in the description. For audio, if you're not already listening, you can search Uncommon on Pocket Cast, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts quite easily. For video, if you're not watching, you can search Uncommon on YouTube. And for behind-the-scenes takes and clips uh, on social media, then definitely check out at Uncommon underscore show on Instagram. But otherwise, look, thanks so much for tuning in. And until next time, thanks for listening.